Kurt, welcome to Warehouse. We're glad you're here. We are in the sixth week, I think, of a series we're calling The Antidote, and the idea is we're taking a, a challenge or a temptation that people in the communities face when they're in transition, and we're presenting into that challenge an antidote or the thing that sort of comes against uh, the, the difficulty in that transition. So um, today we're looking at this difficulty that we face called wandering. Like, suddenly the leader has left the room and the tendency is to think that, oh, well, if the lead pastor is not in the room, then I, you know, I guess all bets are off. I'm just kind of wandering around here until the next one shows up. And that's really not the way that uh, life is supposed to be lived. We're supposed to be people who obviously have a, a little bit more direction in our life. So uh, we have a great day and the band's going to kick off with this song, which says a little bit about wandering. And uh, listen up. We're glad you're here. So that's the question in life, right? Uh, wander or onward? And um, of course, it's a church, so you know the answer is supposed to be onward. Um, Numbers 27, 12 through 23 goes like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go up this mountain to the Abram range and see the land I have given the Israelites. After you've seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. These were the waters of Meribesh Kadesh, Meribeth, Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin, otherwise known as the sacred place of the quarreling. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them. Someone who will lead them out and bring them in. So the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, he answered Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar, the priest, and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He's to stand before Eleazar, the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. The Urim were a, a little tool he used to discern uh, God's direction. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will come in. And so Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua, and he had him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him, and he commissioned him. And the Lord instructed through Moses, as the Lord instructed through Moses. Yeah, I had, uh, coming up against this talk, felt that I needed some help. And so um, I feel like I was entirely comfortable with um, coming up here and saying what I, what I wanted to say, and I felt I should go wider band. And so at the beginning of last week, I sent this text out to uh, 10 pastors, folks that I've known, um, some as far back as college, some that I've only known for a few years. And they, they're a pretty diverse bunch. They're in uh, different they're not all in the same place. They don't have the same kind of churches. They don't have the same kind of traditions. Um, they don't minister the same kinds of groups. They've had varying amounts of success in the size of their churches. Um, yeah, they're a pretty diverse group. And so I sent this out to him, and I just said, will you look at this and tell me what it is that you would, you would say, like, what, what is it from this that you wish your church knew about spiritual leadership? And what is it um, that you think a church that's in transition, like Warehouse, should hear as, as, they, as they look at this text together? And um, in spite of their diversity, there was remarkable unity in what they said about spiritual leadership. And so this talk, um, 
really is a distillation, I think, of their pastoral experience, which is, I'm sure, measured in hundreds of years, and, um, and their wisdom. It's really what they wish their own people knew, and it's really wish what they think that we ought to know as we're in this transition right now at Warehouse. And, is your, and, and I don't know if, you're, if this is striking you in this series, but you know, these, these things are working for me. We're talking about the transition at Warehouse in a way that's, that's old news. But what's not old news in this series for me is the way that this, this, this life-changing teaching, if you would, did not hype it up too much, is teaching me about transition in my own daily life, in my own personal life. So I'm going to trust that that happens again today. So, um, okay. So here is what these folks said. It really came down to three things. And um, so it's pretty direct. First of all, they said, people should know that there is one foundational element of good spiritual leadership. It's in the text. And every one of these folks, when I sent them this email, I didn't ask them for a sermon illustration, but every one of them inherently went to a story in their life to talk about this element of spiritual leadership. So I would say that it's the key foundational element of good spiritual leadership, and I would say that they have found it to be true. They have proven it to be true, and that's a, that's a nut about the Bible is that you can come to the Bible in this way, which is to say, you know, old, old-timey kind of folks would say, you know, the Bible is true, and so you have to believe it. But, you know, for us, it sort of works sometimes to say, what we have found is that this is always true, or that this is always the most beautiful way to go in our life, or we have found over time that this has been the most effective way to go, and so the Bible has been proven to be true, and that's what they're saying. They've experienced this in their lives. So the, what's the one foundational element? And these guys got real. They said people should know the one sin with which, with which every good spiritual leader wrestles or struggles, and the third thing is that people in your congregation should know how they are complicit in that sin and what the antidote for that sin is. And so here we go with the first one. What is the foundational element of good spiritual leadership? And to get to that answer, I want to uh, jump off with uh, just, I'm going to do this off and on. I'm just going to read these guys' responses. Because it's the repeated phrase, many of them honed in on go out and come in. And so apparently what, many, what they, they seem to be saying together is that healthy spiritual leaders are people who know when to go out and they know when to come in. And they know that for themselves and they know that for their communities as well. Ron Lewis is a pastor um, of not one but two churches. Um, he really has an apostolic ministry of hundreds of churches worldwide, many of them in China. Um, and we came to know, Kathy and I came to know Ron when he married Kathy's best friend. And that's a whole different story, but it was just a, a, an amazing story. And we've gotten to know him better over those years. He said, um, this passage has spoken to me personally over and over for the past 20 years. And one sentence is this. I must balance the two, going out to, bal- going out to battle, which is kingdom advance, and going into his presence, God's presence, to seek his face and get direction and be stored. And so I'd say that what the message that came, the, the shorthand message that came back from all of these leaders was that spiritual leaders are spirit-led. That should not be, that's not rocket science. But we are talking about spiritual leadership. And so the qualification, the primary qualification for spiritual leadership is not brilliance, it is not strength. It is not necessarily even a great moral backbone. It is not necessarily uh, somebody who can, is a great orator or speaker, a great motivational person. It is that the person be spirit-led. 
we believe as Christians that when we come into, into relationship with God, that he set aside every barrier that was between us and himself, and he actually comes and becomes resonant in our lives. And spiritual leaders that are effective, and the best, the best shepherds are the ones that are truly living, spirit-infused lives. How do they do that? As Joshua was, when Joshua, the time came for Joshua to become the leader, he had to go before Eleazar, who was a type of the Holy Spirit. It's an image of the Holy Spirit. So Joshua didn't have the direction. He didn't, like, go up to the mountain himself. He didn't have the strategy. He was to go before this priest, and the priest would then tell him or would discern what, this, what, what God wanted him to do with the people, lead them to go out and to come in, and to do that for himself as well. So spiritual shepherds are ones that must be before God. They have to have done this. It isn't something that somebody learns in five years. It probably isn't even something that they learn in ten years, but it's something that over time they do over and over and over and over, and eventually they get it. They get the key element. They're really spirit-led. It doesn't mean they get everything right, but it means that they're in touch with the spirit. So everything follows after that. Like Ron... Um, they are face-to-face with God. And here's what happens when you come face-to-face with God. One is utter terror, because God knows all, and he will tell you all if you ask him to do so. That's why David in the Psalms says, you know, tell me what my wicked heart is really like. And God told him, and it was too much for him. It was like, um, like there's a Mark Hurd song that says that God is, uh, God is eyeless, but is lidless, but sparing. Like God sees all, and that's kind of say odd to say lidless, because when I say that, you probably think of Sauron and the Lord of the Rings. But unlike Sauron, he's sparing. He sees all. His sight is penetrating. But he's sparing. He's merciful. And so when you go face-to-face with God, what you get is this interaction where he tells you exactly who you are, good and bad, and he tells you how, much he, how, how terribly he loves you. I mean, he's the sort of God, Scripture says, that he, he tattoos his names, tattoos our names on his own shoulder. He's that kind of a jealous lover, like that crazy biker guy, you know, with the name of his girl on his shoulder. He will tell you what he thinks, and he's jealous to fight for you. And so these guys are saying that people, these, the best spirit-led people have been in front of that kind of God, and they have become naked. And because they've been naked and they've been built back and recovered, they are able to do the same thing in their communities. They're able to be transparent in front of people because they don't fear you. They fear God. They know who they really should fear. And they, so they respond first to him. They get personal restoration in that time. Spiritual, spiritual leadership is difficult. I mean, more difficult than running Duke Power, although that looks pretty difficult this week. I mean, it's, it's, it's more difficult than running for president because there's spiritual warfare involved. And, and spiritual leaders get beat up. They take wounds that we can't possibly see. And they take wounds many times in our community, and, and they don't feel comfortable telling everybody about the wounds that they're going through. And so they need this restoration. So they go to God, and they get this restoration. So they've experienced that. Ron made this point for me, too, in, in something he said that I didn't read to you, that there's a rhythm here of going out and coming in. And there's a passage about, the king, about king David, who was the king of Israel later, and when he fell into a real chaotic, tragic, sinful period of his life, 
that said, in the time that kings went out to war, David remained in Jerusalem. So when the time came to go out, David stayed in, and utter disaster happened. Ron made the point that it's, it's really important that spirit le spiritual leaders are spirit-led and they can discern between the two times. And he made the point that at moments like this in a community's history or in your life when you feel like you're in transition and sort of nothing is going on, that you don't regard the coming in time as a time when nothing is happen, happening. That this time is in many ways just as important as the time when the kingdom advance is happening that's, that's, that's out there and people see it. For those of you that exercise really hard, you know, that really work out really hard, you know this to be true. Like guys like Wade. Guy, he can go out and he can do a really, really hard workout. He can ride his bike. He can kill himself. But the reality is that he doesn't get stronger when he rides hard. When he gets strong is when he sleeps at night and he rests. And his body rebuilds tissue. And, and those nutrients come to the muscles. And, and, and life happens. And so it's important to know when to face the challenge as a pastor. And it's important to know when the time for rest is spirit-led. Not by brilliance, not by good looks, not by oratory, but by the spirit. So what does a spirit-led leader, spirit leader look like? Paul said that the fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Perfection is not in that list. And that is really important. We're going to get to a little bit that. I really want you to hold on to that, that you should not. We cannot expect perfection. It's impossible for our leaders. I sum all those things up this way as humility. Spiritual leadership relies not on human brilliance, not on uh, strength, not on power, but on Holy Spirit revelation, on the ability to be face-to-face -face with God and then manifesting those experiences in humility. Jeff Gardner, um, some of you know Jeff or know of his church here in town. He has a church called Threshold Church. Um, he chose to tell me a story and unprovoked um, chose to give me a challenge as well. So I'll read the challenge to you later. Um, his story is this. In a world of mega churches and celebrity pastors, I have been tempted more than once to figure out how to join their ranks, even though I knew it wasn't my calling. And yet I often felt that lure until a couple of years ago when I attended a funeral for Jody, a 40-year-old wife and mother who had died of breast cancer. While serving her church a few years earlier, I was in a small group with her husband, David. I had left that church in the meantime, and I did not participate in the service. I was simply an attender. The sermon, that was, delivered by a retired, the sermon was delivered by a retired pastor, a pastor who had married David and Jody. In his message, the pastor read the very same scripture passages he had read at their wedding. That's rich. I honestly don't remember much about the message itself, but in that moment, I truly saw a shepherd, a man who cared not for glory or fame, but who walked with his sheep through the mountains and the valleys, and in that moment, my calling to be one was ultimately confirmed. Since that day, I no longer clamor for notoriety. Rather, I long to be a real shepherd, a pastor, in the lives of those who God has entrusted to me. And so I think that his story really gives us an example of that kind of humility. You know, shepherd's work is not exciting work. They live out in the, out, I, I don't I haven't seen the shepherds lately, but I hear that shepherds, when they're around, they live in extreme conditions. They live in a condition where they put themselves between danger and their sheep, and they're willing to sacrifice the way and they lay down their lives for their sheep. 
But, you know, when they're not doing that, because that doesn't happen very often, they're doing things like bringing sheep into their folds. And when they bring them in, they do fairly mundane things like shear them and dress their wounds and bind up their, their bones. And when one goes astray, they go find it, they leave them, and they go and they find the one and they bring it back. Those are mundane, humble acts. And that is what somebody who's truly spirit-led looks like. They don't look like somebody that's running for a political position. They don't necessarily look like somebody maybe, you know, that, that's running a company. They display this kind of humility where they really take joy in marrying people, in burying them. When you get in a tough spot, you know, sheep get themselves in the tough spots all the time because they're not, they're not the brightest animals. Um, they're like us. And they get themselves into, bind, into binds when they wander off. The shepherd isn't necessarily angry at them when he finds them. He's mostly just filled with joy that he's found them and he can bring them back. And so it's the same for you. When you get in a bind, when your marriage isn't good, when something goes wrong, you know, shepherd, your shepherd is someone who comes alongside you and is happy to help and is, has, feels more joy for you in that and more joy in that service to you than they do in any frustration or, or, or any disappointment they have in, in your behavior. That's just not where they're at. So I just think that really comes across in his story. So wonderful. Another email uh, I got was from a guy named Robbie Fisher. Some of you know Robbie. He's the staff chaplain at Forest Hill, big church here in town, actually the church that planted us out. And uh, he's the staff chaplain, so that means he's the pastor of pastors, so he knows something about the pastor's hearts. He said, he sent me uh, in his email, he said, uh, what jumps out at me in this passage and really in this transition of Moses to Joshua is that the people and maybe even Moses had begun to see Moses' role as larger than God's. When Moses slapped that rock silly, he was really saying, I can provide for this people myself. And, this, and with this transition, God is saying, no, Moses, Moses' abilities are finite. My abilities are infinite. And the people will be just fine when Moses is gone. Ouch. He goes on, I had a good reminder of this recently. These guys are all very self-disclosing. I had a good reminder of this recently. A young lady named Betsy visited our youth group about 10 years ago and came to faith out of a family lacking faith or even a willingness to be gracious to her newfound faith. Through her high school and even college years, I thought I needed to help. I needed to keep a close check on her to keep her grounded. And then she moved overseas. I was unsure how she would keep walking with Christ. And I think it had more to do with my identity of needing to help than the Spirit's ability to work across the pond. To give you a quick summary of her story, Janet and I just got back from London after performing Betsy's wedding to a godly young Northern Irish man. She's involved in a vineyard church and is just on fire with her love for God. Like the transition from Moses to Joshua or the transition that's taking place at Warehouse 242. For me, Betsy's transition from one faith community to the other was all about God's faithfulness and his ability to tell a great story and not about my need to help. The issue, the sin that shepherds wrestle with, good shepherds wrestle with, is self-importance. Or as Robbie stated more bluntly, Moses thought his role was more important than God's. Well, that's not earth-shattering. But maybe what is is that congregations and people like us, we need to be real, we're complicit in that same sin. We, we don't pick pastors, I keep saying this, but we don't pick pastors the way that we pick presidents. You know, a, a ton of money is not going to get spent 
to be to find a, to become a pastor. At least I hope it's not. It'd be a really bad investment of money. Um, but we don't do those. Those 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 are two different planes. But what we do share is that we idolize pastors. We look to pastors to be our saviors or our source of hope, the hope of our salvation. And that is toxic. That can be very, very, very toxic. Felipe Assis, who is uh, the pastor of Crossbridge Church in Miami, he's actually progeny of, Rob, of Robbie's. Um, he was in Robbie's youth group. He worked for Robbie. He's an amazing guy. It, my, in my world, I think of him as like one of the strongest thinker strategists and pastors that I've met in a long time. He wrote me back this. He said, in my opinion, the key is to see Jesus as the greater perfecter of Joshua because they have the same name. You know, there's a little intermezzo here, but, you know, in the ancient Hebrew name, Joshua means Yahweh saves or God saves. And Jesus' name in Greek is the Greek form of that, that Yahweh saves or Jesus' name. So what he's pointing out here is that Jesus is the greater, greater perfect Joshua. He brings us out of slavery and the promised land. One thing we believe about Jesus in time is that not only has he brought us from sin and from bondage and into freedom now, but he will later bring us into a new world and a new heavens, and that will be the ultimate and the final promised land. By fighting our battles for us, Joshua could lead in battle, but he could not actually fight the battles. There's an amazing parallel to your text in Matthew 9 that goes, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus, this is still, this is Felipe going on. Jesus is the senior pastor of the church because He's the savior of the church. It's basic, right? But we often forget this. As a pastor, I'm always struggling with a messianic complex. I do not want to be perceived as their Messiah. And I know that congregations very easily idolize their pastors and preachers. They see in them the hope of their salvation. Bad idea. Pastors should do as John the Baptist or as Joshua in this text and point people to Jesus, who is the ultimate good shepherd. And I, I think that everything he said there really hinges on two sentences where he points out he's so, first of all, he's just, he's been before God. He's transparent about his stuff. He's willing to say, look, I have a mess. I struggle with the messianic complex. When I asked him an email in the back, can I share it this way? He said, I don't care who you say what, to who, who you say this to or what you say. This is my story. He's just able to say, I struggle with this messianic complex. And that is remarkable. But he really hones in on the problem that we bring to the table. And is that, is that that we are looking for a Messiah, and often we are looking for our spiritual leaders to be our Messiahs. So incredibly unhealthy. The antidote for that is for each of us to pursue a personal relationship with the great shepherd. Right? And maybe the, maybe the question can be put a different way with a challenge for warehouse during this time. Does, what, what's more important? That the church have a shepherd or that the shepherd, capital S, have a church. And if you get that order right, and you realize that it's more important that the shepherd has this church, you really begin to look to the great shepherd for the stuff that we need every day, and we can begin to get, begin to get 
pastors off these, these pedestals that we keep them on. And this is going to be the game on moment in the talk. I've talked a lot about what pastors were about, and now I'm going to transfer this back to us, to what is our responsibility. It's pretty easy. As Joshua went, went before Eleazar, and as all these pastors were saying, these spiritual leaders should go before God themselves, as Christ is our shepherd, we're to go before him face-to-face ourselves first. Not dumping on our pastors, not expecting too much of them. We should expect plenty, but not much, not too much. We should expect from God because everything disappoints, including our pastors. And every relationship disappoints, except for the relationship with God, the great shepherd, who never disappoints. Now, here's some practical terms. Turn this back around. Okay. We need to be able to go face-to-face with God. We need to be able to show humility in our lives. We need to show the ability to reconcile to each other and not involve our pastoral staff in our petty disagreements. When, when you feel the need to say something ill about somebody, that's the moment when you don't need to be corrected by somebody. That's the moment when you need to ask the Spirit to change your heart so that you'll go and confront the person that you're having a problem with. This real practical sanctification, real practical ways of being transformed. There's a, there's a phrase that a guy named Tim Keller uses, which is called chief repenters. He says that pastors and spiritual leaders should be the first repenters in churches. And what he means by that is not that, it, not that they sin more than everybody else, but what he means by that, and, but, yeah, yeah, um, but what he says means about that is that they should be the first to say they're sorry. And they should be the first to show humility. Now, if we turn this thing around, every one of us has this relationship with the one who's the great shepherd. The opportunity is for us to all become chief repenters together. Here's one that really jumps out at me. I know I'm limited in, in my teaching skills. I know that this is not you know, the way I make a living. The tendency of you all, though, is going to be crazy, is in this moment of transition to look for the people that are standing on stage for your own spiritual growth. So if your spiritual growth goes badly, you're going to blame me or Mark or whoever else is up here instead of taking responsibility for that yourself. Instead of saying, no, I can be spirit-led, I can go directly to God. The best I can hope for is is to take what we think God is directing us to teach on on a Sunday, to learn from it, and to bring it to you, and invite you to interact with it the same way that we are. The last one I want to give you, is, and this is the hardest one I think for, for folks in our culture in this age, is it's in this text, is that we have to give our spiritual leaders authority. We are a culture that hates authority and that hates anybody telling us what to do and when to do it telling us when to go out and when to come in. And we as followers need to give spiritual leaders permission if they're doing all these other things. Certainly give them permission to have authority in our lives. To tell us when it's time to cut the matted wool off our backs and when the time is to reset the bones of our lives and when it is that we can tell us straight up when we're lost and to come and find us and bring us back. We need to give them permission to do that. Several of the respondents, uh, without any uh, direction on my part, gave me uh, charges. Uh, Jeff made me promise that I would give you his charge, and so I'm going to end with his charge. He said this. He said, he wanted me to tell you this. Warehouse 242, you are a special flock of God. 
you are doing mighty things. As you move through this transition, ask God to send you a shepherd, a true shepherd. He put that in caps. One who will care for you and lead you to care for others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a talk that's not overly exciting, but full of really good practical knowledge. And so um, we just want to ask that what we've heard in some way will fall from our ears to our hearts, that um, we'll look forward to our pastor who's coming, but more than that, we'll pursue our relationship with you because you're the great shepherd. In your son's name we pray, amen. If you're one of the communion servers, if you'd come forward now, we're gonna, I'm going to set the communion up. Um, a few announcements here. The first one is this. We are, um, trying to, we are being faithful to once a month tell you what's going on with the finances of the warehouse because it's, it's sort of a critical part of the transition. We're not going to harp on it, but we, we, we've, we have committed in our, in our leadership group to share this information in a more transparent way than we maybe ever have before, and so today is that day. So what I want you to notice here is, um, is, is this. There's some good trends. Those, since they're pointed up, you know that's always good, but I want to share with you something that's not up here, which is not altogether great. Last month, we were a little bit uh, short uh, between what we, we spent and what, what, we, what we took in. And so um, that means that our, our, our gap there took out of our cash reserves. Not an altogether great thing. Um, but we do have cash reserves, and so that is good. So we want to continue to be open and honest about that, not to strike fear into people's heart or not to, manipul- not to manipulate people. But um, because, if you, as we said, if you were here a couple months ago or at the beginning of this series, um, we want to bring it to the community because if we bring it to the community, when God slays that giant, God will get all the credit for it. And we will rejoice in his fame and in his greatness. And so that is why we're doing that. Um, but if you were here back then, I, off the cuff on that Sunday, made a challenge to everybody that um, we try to get more people doing online giving. And I, I immediately walked off afterwards and thought, what have I done? Um, and so I had to ask Kelly to help me. And so what I want you to see is that you have been responding. This is online giving trends, which is an important, uh, important number for us. And you can see that in terms of the number of people that are giving, you are more and more giving in an online fashion. And that is a beautiful thing because it helps us to smooth the income that's coming in and we know better how to handle our bills. And there's this. What we see behind the numbers is that what you do, what you, what you are doing, is that you are first going on and trying to one-time give online, and then at some moment later, you're converting to doing your regular giving online, which is sort of the ultimate goal. So if you're one of the people who has not tried doing that yet, maybe this week is the time for you to, if you're going to give, to like just take a shot at it and see if you can get through the system and see how it works and do it one time. If you've made that one-time shot, now's the time to go ahead and come up with the, everybody else. And, and give that way on a regular basis. So you can see this isn't our total giving, but you can see that number is definitely headed north. So thank you. That's really, really, really encouraging to me. It's great. And why is that important? We don't, we don't, we don't have an operating budget. You'll never hear us say, we need money for our operating budget. Here, here's what we have. We have a missional budget. We are missional people. It's a missional community. This, this month, there's, I'm going to go through the rest of the announcements. You're going to see there's a lot of things coming up. But one of the things that we do is we use this building for a thing called Family Promise. Family Promise is where a homeless family comes and lives here. We basically convert everything on the other side of that wall as, as a place for a homeless family to live. They, they, they go from church to church living in a church building. At least they're not homeless. While, from week to week. And during that time, they use that time to, 
restore their resources to get the training they need so that they can ultimately land in a homeful place, not a homeless place. So when we give, we don't have an operating budget. We have a budget for making homeless people homeful. And so that's why our mission is important, and that's why we give. So on the subject of Family Promise, that's coming up right around the corner. We're still taking volunteers for all sorts of things, from folks that will bring food. It's something great small groups can do. We're helping to get people in the building, moved in the building, get them moved out of the building at the end of the week. Also, um, we need folks to spend the night with the families. So if you can help in any way or you feel in some way drawn to that, we know that a lot of you are, just email us at room at warehouse242.org, and we will love to have you and put you, to, put you in to volunteer there. That's one of the greatest things that we do. Second uh, thing is this. We have um, our gathering of women are now have a proper name, Enroute. Thank you. I love this name, by the way. I just think it's so awesome. So Enroute, which is our gathering of women, is getting together on Wednesday night, July 18th from 6.45 to 8.30 p.m. I think there's uh, dessert, coffee, some stuff like that, probably as they get started. And we would love to have you for that if you're a woman. Uh, Dr. Uh, Kelly Boyce, who is a uh, a member here is going to be talking about our connection between God and a connection of knowing ourselves. Um, that should be a great, great time together. There's no child care service available. Now, here's why. Not because we can't, but because Family Promise is going to be here. So that side of the building where we usually do fa- child care is not, op- is not an option. We have lots of single moms in our community. And so let's ramp up our game, you know, game on here. If you're a father and you're staying home with, with your kids while your wife is coming... Why don't you ask your single mother friends if you can also watch their kids? And that's something that we can do as husbands and as men to, to serve our women here in the church. And that's a good thing. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> about that. <laughs> okay. Should I do that again? That was, that's, that's a pretty good response. Um, we're also having a thing in August. The next slide is about con- it's called Conversations in, in, about Marriage. And it's going to be three Tuesdays. This would be great. Um, it is $30 for couples and $15 for individuals. So note to self, um, if you are a single person, you are part of the conversation about what marriage should be like. And maybe, you know, the time to, like, try to figure out what marriage is about is not after you bag somebody. You know, it's, like, long before then. Or, like, when you're trying to get rid of what you bagged, even however that works. Um, no, no, it's, it's a community conversation, really, and anyway, the single people can come and make all the married people honest in that time together. That'd be good. Um, it's from 7 to 8.30 here on Tuesday nights. It will be great. Palmer Trice, who's not just locally famous, but kind of regionally and nationally famous from Barnabas Center, is going to be leading that. And that, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a terrific, terrific time. So register on our website. And there will be child care available for that. Um, last thing, um, I... I I think this today was just one of those talks that, like, it's not going to be something like we raise the roof on, but it's one of those things that's just foundational. And the things I want you to remember are just the three parts that these guys had, which the foundation of spiritual leadership is being spirit-led. The second part is that there is a, there is a in spiritual leadership, there's a, real temp, there's a real temptation for spiritual leaders to think they are self-important. And the third part is this, that we can be part of the solution for that, and not a part of the problem, not be part of the toxicity in that. And what we can do is we can get face-to-face with God ourselves. So as you go out these doors today, get face-to-face with God. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.